Hello and welcome to the EcoBusiness Podcast. I'm Robin Hicks, Deputy Editor of EcoBusiness. On today's podcast, we're going to talk about palm oil and ask a question that haunts growers of the world's most controversial supermarket ingredient. Is there really such a thing as sustainable palm oil? Some environmental and consumer groups, particularly in Europe, argue that because of the widespread habitat destruction and human rights abuses that palm oil is often responsible for, there is no such thing as sustainable palm. Even though about 12 million tonnes of certified sustainable palm oil makes its way onto supermarket shelves every year. A report by Greenpeace last year found that companies that have been certified by the Roundtable on Sustainable Palm Oil have been responsible for burning and clearing forests in Southeast Asia over the last five years. This makes life hard for companies that grow palm oil in a way that doesn't fit the destructive stereotype of palm oil production. One such company is Natural Habitats, which works with independent farmers in South America to grow organic palm oil that is deforestation-free, wildlife-friendly, fair for farmers and for local communities. Joining me today from Natural Habitats is Monique van Vinbergen, who believes that palm oil can be a force for good, benefiting farmers, workers, communities and the environment. Welcome to the podcast, Monique. Yes, well, thanks, Robin. So, Monique, you're Head of Sustainability and Communication at palm oil company Natural Habitats, um, and you're also spokesperson for a marketing campaign called Palm Done Right that aims to change the conversation about palm oil and advocate why palm can be grown for good. Now, you're also based in Europe, and the first question I wanted to ask you is... How difficult is it for you to have a conversation with friends or family about how palm oil can be grown responsibly? Yes, well, um, I think it's always, you know, when people ask me, what do you do, where do you work? And when I say I work in palm oil, uh, the interesting thing is I always have people's attention because they know so much about palm oil because there's so much in the media around it. And uh, mostly they would say, isn't that bad? And why would you do that? And when I start to explain, you know, how we do things differently, but also that it's not the crop that's the problem, but the way we grow it, I get people's attention. Um, Very often people would say that, you know, their children, they use, for instance, a palm oil-free product. But then when I start to talk to them about palm oil and, and I really notice how little knowledge there basically is, Um, people are intrigued that there's more behind it, that the issues are complex and that, you know, there is indeed sustainable palm oil and, you know, that there are movements towards that. And and especially when I start to explain about how palm oil is much more efficient, how it lives for the quality, I get people's attention. But what I notice especially is that it takes time. So you mentioned a few of the merits of palm oil there, one being efficiency, right? It's Mm -hmm. an efficient crop. Um, You need less land to grow palm Mm -hmm. oil than, say, other crops such as soy um, and other edible oils. Um, I just want to ask you, why do you think it is that palm oil has got such a bad reputation? Well, I think if you have seen, you know, in the media and all you've seen in the media that palm oil is about forest destruction, wildlife habitat laws, exploitation, uh, displacement of communities. If you've seen that for over a period of, how much is it, 20, 25 years? I think there's clearly the link made between palm oil and destruction. Uh, destruction. And 
it's very hard to, to de-link that. Uh, sadly, of course, that has been taking place, especially with volumes quadrupling, uh, unregulated development. And I guess it's what the public is shown to date, yeah, with hardly any attention for the transitions and, and improvements that are taking place. Uh, so I think the story is still very much geared towards the negatives and too little towards the positives going on. Even palm oil executives will admit that in Southeast Asia, where it's grown mainly, um, mm -hmm. there's been a lot of deforestation that's taken place at the hands of palm yeah. oil. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so uh, Monique, so you... Uh, work for a palm oil company called Natural Habitat and, and you, mm -hmm. Natural Habitats, and you claim that there is absolutely such a thing as sustainable palm oil, which a lot yeah. of green, gro green groups would say that there just isn't yet. Um, yeah. What does sustainable palm oil look like and how yeah. is it grown? Well, um, I think, you know, there are definitions around what sustainable palm oil is. The definition that we use, so Natural Habitats, uh, you know, and we call that palm and right, we say it's it's deforestation-free, uh, wildlife-friendly, fair and social. And what does that mean? Well, deforestation-free means that we protect forests and that we avoid all the problems that we've seen in the past. Yeah, I mean, the slashing and burning, uh, eradicating that. Um, uh, regarding wildlife-friendly, um, what it means for us and, and what it means for, for also the other palm oil growers is that palm oil production and wildlife can coexist by making sure we take the right measures, for instance, for habitat uh, protection, but also creating corridors. And fair and social really means uh, securing livelihoods, you know, for farmers, for workers, protecting their rights. Um, so I think those three elements are, are important. This is what, what sustainable palm oil is about. Uh, of course, we are adding, uh, as a company, organic to that. And, and what I also find important to mention here, especially uh, when there's still so a lot, uh, a lot of criticism, is that it's very much, and I think that's sometimes overlooked, it's also the transition from the destructive practices to sustainable practices. You mentioned a few interesting points there about palm done right, right? O organic mm -hmm. is one point of difference. Deforestation-free, wildlife-friendly, fair and social. Now, other big palm oil companies in Southeast Asia make some of those claims as well, deforestation-free being one. Um, yeah. And, and your, your palm oil plantations are not in Southeast Asia, right? They're in Ecuador, as I understand it, right? So yeah. how, does, how is the, your plantation different from one, yeah. say, in Indonesia and Malaysia? A huge difference between how we work and, and what we see in, in Southeast Asia is that the fact that we work uh, with independent growers. So we don't own our own plantations uh, and our model is very much geared towards uh, reaching out to existing farm, uh, uh, oil palm farmers and converting them. Um, so, and these are mostly small and medium sized. So that's a different, of course, also compared to the large monocrops in Southeast Asia. And what we do is we work with the farmers, conventional farmers and help them transition to sustainable and organic practices. Another point of difference is wildlife friendly. So how are your plantations, you mentioned wildlife corridors, how else is palm oil wildlife friendly? Because ultimately you're still with palm oil replacing um, mm. forest, right? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I think um, wildlife friendly and, 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 you know, what are the right measures? What we do is make sure because we're a Rainforest Alliance uh, and are RSPO certified. Um, so we abide by all the uh, principles and criteria. We raise awareness with our farmers on how to deal with uh, wildlife, what they can not do, especially. But also uh, many of our farmers, uh, they have their farms, their, their, let's say, productive areas of palm, but also conservation areas or, or forests. So we also take great care that those forests are protected. Okay. Now, one issue with sustainably grown palm oil or sustainably grown anything is that it tends to be more expensive. Yes, is correct. natural habitats palm oil more expensive? And if so, how do you manage that cost um, issue? Yeah. 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 Well, there's de- there's definitely a difference between our palm oil and conventional palm oil, and, and it's a substantial difference. Um, and, and that's not only because of the sustainable practices, but also because it's organic. Um, and I would say that the biggest driver for that difference is the premium that we pay, because we also pay, a, I would say, substantial premium for the fact that it's organic, uh, RSPO, uh, Fairfolite and Rainforestalite certified. Um, but it's also more expensive. Another point is, of course, like I already said, is we work with independent farmers, yeah, mostly small and medium-sized which, of course, has implications for productivity, for logistics, but also our investment in order to convert them to sustainable practices. Um, So uh, in our outreach in the market, so if you look at the customers we have, I would say that we have very mission-driven customers who are willing to pay more for palm oil growing the right way. And what I also note is we see traction, especially in the U.S., um, for organic palm oil. And by organic, right, um, for those who don't understand what organic means, it, I guess it means no pesticides or herbicides or chemicals are used in growing the palm oil, right? Yeah, correct. So there's no chemicals used and we use basically natural ways of pest control, but also fertilization. That, that's a very important difference. Mm, okay. I want to ask you also about scale, because um, your model is interesting. You work with, as you mentioned, independent farmers. Um, how do you get the scale that you need um, yeah. to make it a commercially viable uh, product proposition? Yeah. Well, the way we scale up, and, and of course, you know, it is, it, it is a challenge moving forward and scaling up, is, 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 like I said, working with conventional farmers. So working with them, converting them, and, and, you know, we, we, we try to get a good mix of small, medium and, and larger farmers. And this is how we scale up. Um, but it takes time, especially the conversion to organic. There's a window of three years. Um, but we can, the, the best way to scale up is basically by, by converting existing farms. Right. Okay. And I guess, you know, once a community of farmers um, is converted to sustainable cultivation, then that the word spreads, right? And I guess that you mentioned fair and social. So the the premium um, mm-hmm. that is made on on that palm oil is passed down to the farmers, right? Yes, of course. So they, so they, they receive a, a premium, which is a combination of the different, let's say, practices they use. And we have a few customers that both in Europe and the US that also pay an additional fair for life premium. And that money that they pay goes straight into a fair for life fund. 
And then the communities, farmer communities, but also, for instance, we have a workers association. They decide themselves how to invest that money in their community. I want to ask you, Monique, about traceability. Now, traceability is one of the biggest issues in palm oil cultivation. You know, how do you how can you trace the fresh uh, fruit bunches, the palm oil right back to the, the plantation to prove that that um, palm oil was sustainably produced. What's your approach to uh, traceability? Yeah. Uh, we, we have a system which is called identity preserved. So that means how hey, you can bring it down uh, and, and trace it down uh, until the level of the mill. But we can even trace it down all the fresh uh, fruit bunches to, to, the, to the growers because we know all the growers, we actively work with them. Um, so we know, for instance, if we have a lot that, that we, we um, uh, transport, we know exactly which um, uh, growers have contributed to that lot. Um, so these farmers, you know, they deliver their fresh fruit bunches to our mill, to our collection center. Um, we know because we work with them, our tech teams visit them every six weeks. We know how much they can produce. So when they deliver their fruit and, and there's a discrepancy between, you know, what we know they can produce and what they deliver, you know, that's a control point for us. So on a weekly basis, they tr we track, you know, what do they deliver? What should they deliver? Uh, and that's a way to really make sure the traceability is, uh, is, 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 is really done well. I want to ask you about COVID-19. Obviously, the panic, uh, the pandemic has made life harder for most people, right? But what about the impact on sustainable palm oil cultivation? Um, what sort of difference has it made? I think COVID didn't necessarily make it harder to stick to sustainable practices um, because our farmers, they are well trained, they know what to do. Uh, and they stick to that because, of course, that's also what delivers their uh, premium. Of course, we had our challenges. I think we had some challenges with um, the collection because of restrictions by the government of, you know, the amount of time people had to transport. So we had to overcome that with another collection point. Of course, we were restricted in our farm visits. Some of our farmers didn't want us to visit, um, but we also had to be very mindful of the health of our team. Um, so... I think with the current uh, farmers that we have in our supply network, that was not such a big issue. It was mostly an issue for the outreach to new farmers. Um, and also, for instance, we would always do on-site uh, pre-audits. Now we had to switch more to a remote uh, pre-audit. Um, so I think it, you know, especially when it comes to sustainable practices, not so much um, effects, um, but of course, we had to have additional procedures in place, especially to safeguard people's health. Um, one issue of COVID-19 has mm. been to keep palm oil prices low. Now, this mm. has been an issue in Indonesia where um, people have been saying that um, because there's been less monitoring of forests, there's been more um, illegal burning practices. Now, um, Burning is burning land to clear it is much cheaper and easier mm -hmm. uh, to prepare land for palm oil cultivation, right? It's been a big problem that contributes to the annual haze we have here in Southeast Asia. Now, what sort of issue is it in, in Ecuador where um, you guys are operating? Is fire um, a big issue and has, has COVID contributed to that issue? No, it, it's not a big issue. Uh, I think the control points are, are, are very well in, in the country. But, and also, no, I'm not aware that, that COVID has contributed to that. You mentioned this earlier on about the palm oil free movement. 
mm-hmm. um, which is gathering steam. You know, it's uh, it's not only in Europe, right, which is where it started, but it's also finding its way over to Asia Pacific, um, in particularly in markets like Australia, mm-hmm. where recently we saw a large confectioner announce yeah. with an advertising campaign. I'm sure you saw it with a yeah. orangutan playing the drums that it was yes. palm oil free. So palm oil free seems to be a, a thing that brands can can shout about and get good mm-hmm. consumer sentiment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do the activists have a point? What's your um, view on palm oil free, Monique? <laughs> well, you will understand that I clearly don't agree, especially with the simplified solution, because it is a simplified solution and usually a simplified story. And the way I look at it is that they basically use a consumer sentiment or emotion for, for marketing purposes. Um, because the, the reality is so complex. Um, I think they're showing a one-sided picture yeah, and they refrain from talking about, for instance, the you know even larger footprint of some of the alternative ingredients that are used. And um, yeah, so in that sense, I, I think it's, it's not helping also the sector to improve. I think it's really counterproductive to what we as a sector aim to do, and that is transition the sector to sustainable practices. And I really truly believe that sustainable palm oil, that's the way to go. And that needs to be rewarded, that needs to be incentivized. And what the palm oil free movement is basically doing is, is de-incentivizing farmers to change. Absolutely. That's an interesting perspective. Yes. Um, You mentioned the alternatives. Um, Daryl Lee, the company in Australia, has switched Mm -hmm. to sunflower oil. Now, Mm -hmm. I spoke to someone who said that the environmental footprint from some perspective of some sunflower oil is actually bigger than palm oil because you need Mm -hmm. more land to grow it on. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, um, you mentioned also you're a member, signed up member to RSPO, the Roundtable on Sustainable Palm Oil. Mm-hmm. Um, which, Monique, by the way, it, it still has its critics, um, yeah. even after tightening its principles and criteria, which it did, I think, at the end of 2018, it mm-hmm. still gets um, criticism. What do you think RSPO needs to do to make yeah. um, sustainable palm oil genuinely sustainable? Where can it improve? I mean, you already mentioned a few, uh, some of the, the, the steps the RSPO has taken uh, to address the criticism. Um, you know, is there much more they have to do? Well, of course, you know, it's important to make sure that all the thing is, is, is still very rigorous. And, you know, if there are non-compliances, is that they act very strongly. I think that is what they can do. Um, but for the rest, I would say there's a solid uh, standard. The, the auditing, at least the way we experience it, and we've been working with them for 10 years, is, is strong. Um, so especially looking at, you know, a recent report that came out, um, I think one of the issues also with the criticism or the critics is that they don't uh, agree with, with the definition of sustainable and genuinely sustainable palm oil, which of course is mostly linked to deforestation. So I think this is where one of the challenges especially lies, you know, are we able to, you know, agree on a certain definition um, and I think that's really almost impossible to overcome by the RSPO. Um, and at the same time, I believe, you know, we can look again at the RSPO to, to change things. But I believe, you know, a lot of it also lies in the, in the, in the industry and the markets to, to overcome the criticism. Yeah, so there needs to be a bigger push by the palm oil industry to help improve its own reputation, you think, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. And I think, you know, 
that for me, that's really revolves around, you know, rewarding sustainable practices, making sure the incentives are in place to transition to sustainable practices. It's scaling up, you know, their sourcing. We need to see much more scale. Um, but also what I find crucial, and that's, of course, what we're trying to do or what we are doing with, with Pond and Rights, is educating consumers and educating the markets. You know, talk about palm oil, talk about why you use it, you know, and also how consumers' choices can, can influence uh, the improvements in the sector. So I think we need to have the conversation and, and continue those discussions. Why do you think it is, Monique, that uh, sustainable palm oil just hasn't been selling that well to date? I've been talked in, in the past to, to people like Sime Darby as a big uh, Malaysian palm oil company that said that, you know, they claim to be the biggest seller of sustainable mm -hmm. palm oil. That is really the, the push of the market where we need to see that, uh, you know, the commitments that, that, that the industry has, especially consumer good manufacturers, but also retailers, that they live by their commitments. Um, you know, they're willing to pay a little bit more for sustainably grown, so pay that extra premium. Um, and, and scale up and, 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 you know, as long as they don't, because, you know, it's also because it, perhaps a consumer is not willing to pay more. So it has a price effect. And that why, that's why it, it remains to be so important to have conversations with, with consumers. You know, what you're saying is uh, consumer goods companies, the likes of, you know, Mondelez, uh, Unilever, etc. they need to pay more. Uh, they need to be a, pay a premium for sustainable palm oil, right, to elevate the market and consumers need to do the same thing. Yeah, and in that sense, I think Ferrero, I, I always think is a very good example who are, you know, saying in the market that, you know, they continue and they are, you know, pro palm oil and, and why they do and how they also reward sustainable practices. And I'd like to see more of the big companies do that. I want to ask you um, what your vision for the future of palm oil is. Well, I think it's what I find a very interesting um, development, of course, is, is the whole discussion around uh, regenerative agriculture, but also some of the discussions on, you know, broader landscape approaches, yeah, whereby you see, okay, so how do we basically um, uh, develop the land and how do we make sure that forests, wildlife habitats and, and, and agricultural land coexist? So I think, you know, looking towards the future, we will have more of those debates, but also models on how we can make sure that, uh, and I think it's broader than just palm oil production. I think it's, it's agricultural production in general is, is, is to, to unite it more with, uh, with nature and, and, and what we need for, for, you know, biodiversity. Absolutely. So you mentioned regenerative agriculture. For our listeners who aren't sure on what that means, that means you know, as you grow, as you plant, you contribute to uh, natural habitats as well, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's basically also making sure that you, you work with nature. Uh, we would, could say it like that. Uh, how do you can make sure? It has, about, it has to do also with diversity of landscape. How do you, for instance, can make much better use of different crops, uh, undercropping. Um, so it's, it's a different way of, of basically um, growing crops. And um, we've seen a consortium, of course, of, you know, Unilever, Nestle, Danone, who also said, you know, this is where they see the markets heading and this is where they also want to contribute. So I would say let's go for it. Diversity seems to be the, 
um, a diversity of agriculture seems to be the, the model for the future. Um, brilliant. Thanks so much, Monique. Uh, thank you very much for joining the Eco Business Podcast. Well, thank you. This podcast was hosted by Eco Business, Asia's leading media company serving the region's sustainability community. Join the conversation by visiting eco-business.com, follow us on social media, or subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening.